Okay, well, hey, this is Kicking Dirt with Mike and Adam. Today's the 22nd of May. Um, interesting day. We're actually knocking out two podcasts in one day. We had a recording this morning with, with Don Day, and now we're going to get on this one, Mike, and talk a little yeah. marketing, maybe a little bit of business. Uh, you know, it's, it, 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 it's a great day for me because we talk about the weather aspect of how to grow crops and what the prediction looks like. And now we can talk about the, you know, maybe business side of what it looks like to grow a crop also, put the two together. By the end of the day, we'll be a hell of a lot smarter, right? Yeah, you got to be well-rounded if you're a grower. <laughs> so there's a couple areas we don't delve into a lot. So yeah. this is a great treat. Uh, today we have Mr. Chris Barron from is AgView Solutions. Is that what it is, Chris? Yep. You, you, want, you want to introduce yourself and sure. where you live at? Yeah, so uh, Chris Barron, um, yeah, AgView Solutions is our consulting business. Um, we can talk about that here in a bit, but... Uh, I farm in Northeast Iowa, um, or as my wife always says, North, it's not Northeast, it's North, it's Central, East Central. So kind of right between, if if your listeners are familiar with where Waterloo's at, where the John Deere tractors are made, and then Cedar Rapids, Iowa, where they burn through about a million bushel of corn um, every day in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, the processing there is pretty phenomenal. So that helps our basis a little bit in our area, but um, that's where we're located. We're about 20 minutes from Waterloo and about 20 minutes from Cedar Rapids farm with my family. Uh, we have a corn and soybean operation. We have a pioneer uh, sales agency that's been in my family's um, operation since 1972. So I've been around pioneer for a couple of years um, <clears throat> as a kid, actually it was a sales rep for about eight years in the midst there. Uh, raised hogs the first 20 years of my life, and um, and then we got rid of the hog operation and and expanded the seed business and and uh, the farming operation as well, and that led to uh, figuring out how to analyze cost production and making some business decisions. And we worked with some of our pioneer customers, and then that kind of led to working with producers on business decision making and and uh, collaboration and a whole sort of lot of different things um do a lot with transition business transition and stuff now on the consulting side too so we don't run out of things to do my wife and i have <laughs> have uh, eight kids together um we got married in 2015 she brought five to the mix and i brought three um we have uh <clears throat> the the four oldest we're all um have have we're super proud of we had uh, an army ranger that came back and he's actually involved with our consulting business and, and you know, we do some stuff with Corteva and he helps a lot with that. And he farms in Peoria, Illinois. And then we had uh, two Marines, uh, one that's uh, going to be oh, a, wow. one that's going to be a, a FBI agent right now. So he's in training for that. He's hired to officially to the FBI. So that's kind of cool. Um, if he tells us anything, he'll probably have to kill us, but you know, it'll be kind of <laughs> fun to, yeah. have that. And I had another, another son that was a Marine. He's out spraying right now. So as we speak, he's, <laughs> this is his first, uh, his second year back now. And he's uh, really getting involved in the management level of stuff and, and running sprayers and planters and doing all the important stuff already. And so that's fun having him back. And then I have another son that's not actively engaged in the farm operation. He's a police officer in Cedar Falls, Iowa, which is right by Waterloo. And and we have uh, one that graduated last year and one that graduated this year. And we got uh, three in the house or two in the house yet. So still Which, a lot. Wow. Going on. Sounds yeah. like they've picked some nice careers, though. I mean, 
very yeah. su successful well, kids. I, I need to clear something up there, though. You said you got four <laughs> that you're really proud of. Well, what I'm proud, what about I'm proud the of the four? other ones. They're they're working on they're working <laughs> they're on working the, on he's gonna be proud of them type of deal. No, <laughs> they're they're great kids. They're they're fun. They're awesome. Uh, yeah, the the one that uh, that just graduated last year, he's farming, uh, working with one of our clients in uh, near Ames, Iowa. Um, he was a trade A student in college and he or in high school, and he's like, I'm not going to college. I'm gonna I'm gonna learn yeah. on the internet and I'm gonna farm. That's all he wanted to do. And we we've kind of got a policy here in our operation. Um, that's why we have some military kids and why we have kids doing other stuff. We we want them to go someplace else for a minimum of three years. We'd like to have them leave for at least four or five years to see what the real world's like and get yelled at by somebody other than dad and <laughs> yeah. figure out the real world is is different. And um, and that's just something I've kind of learned over the years on our consulting side of the business is working with families tough. And there's a big difference between family governance and business governance and separating those two is really a key thing. And so uh, we've been blessed to, to learn from a lot of other operations and try to try to do the things that work well and try to not do the things that don't work so good. So, man, yeah. I, that is exactly right though. You know, it's like find the people that have screwed up somewhere and learn from that, you know, like the more people yeah. you can interact in, just like with this podcast that we're doing, you know, the more people that we can talk to, you just get more experiences and you can listen to other people's experiences. So you don't have to duplicate that. Right. Yeah. Just get you yeah. one step further. So well, that's one awesome. thing. And one thing I've learned though, I, I mean, I'll, I'll turn 57 this year and I don't feel, I still feel like I'm in my twenties and I'm not. <laughs> and, you know, I, I look at, you know, how things have developed over my career in farming and, and in business. And I think we grow when we screw up, um, when, when we make mistakes or when things don't go our way. Um, I think that's always, always an opportunity for us to improve and to get better. And so that's one of the things I've learned as I get older that, you know, those, those mistakes are not bad. That, that's yeah. how we get better. So. Mistakes well, are always it. learning, learning opportunities. <laughs> yeah, well, that's for sure. It, and Chris, you may not know this, but that's why Mike's an expert because he's 61. I'm 61. <laughs> I don't have any FBI agents in the family, though. <laughs> yeah, but what, how many doctors do you got now? Oh, I got two doctors. So yeah. wow, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I just I just have three little ones that are still in school, so I'm I'm yet to be proud of them as they're running around the house here trying to bother me right now. Yeah, <laughs> just joking. But hey, uh, yeah, we know a little bit about Waterloo and Cedar Rapids area, don't we? Wait. Uh, Pioneer Troy, old Troy Dittmeyer. Yeah, yeah he's Troy's. officially our agronomist now, and he's awesome. He's been on our podcast, the Agby Pitch, a few times this spring just because it was it was hot. It was warm early. Everybody wanted to plant, and then and we usually don't do that much agronomy, but this was a year that I was actually getting agronomic calls. Um, you know, I'm like, uh, I think I'm going to get a hold of Troy and we'll have him on. <laughs> and so that was, that was pretty awesome. We did, I think, three podcasts with him. We did one on to plant or not to plant. Then we did one on, um, uh, best business or best practices, best planning practices. And then we did one on replant later. Um, some of the oh, guys geez. out, out East got more rain and it was colder, uh, in the East and <clears throat> had, had some hard packing rains. And so that kind of screwed the emergence up in some areas. And some of those guys had to make some tough calls. So you, you farm and you got a business, <clears throat> uh, 
could you describe what your business is and what you do for yeah, your clients? So, yeah. So um, I'll start out by saying, you know, we farm and have a business. I guess one thing we tell our clients all the time is, is you are a business and you just happen to farm. It's just, it's just something that you do. And so, um, you know, we, to, to describe mine, I, I mean, we have a kind of a collaborative effort. Um, we have 12 um, farm entities in our group. <clears throat> we farm with a few neighbors. We have one line of equipment that services all of our entities. And so it's kind of a unique just design. Um, I teach actually collaborative farming at Texas A&M for TPAP for the program there on, um, on just collaborative farming. You know, you look at machinery and equipment, inflation. I mean, the last uh, three years, equipment has inflated 31%, and it's the second largest line item expense um, for us all. <clears throat> and so, you know, when we look at that, you know, that's that's one of those things that um, that we spend a lot of time on in our consulting business is just looking at those costs and, and managing that stuff. So that's that's the consulting side. But on the farm side, again, you know, we we collaborate that one line of equipment um, services each of our entities. And um, um, we have two different grain sites. We have scales at both of them. And so corn is corn. Um, it gets scaled in just like it would at an elevator. We weigh it in. Everybody's got their own bushels. Um, <clears throat> primarily, our grain goes to Cargill and Cedar Rapids uh, and Quaker Oats. So we've been able to establish a pretty pretty strong relationship with Cargill. Um, like I said, most of it goes to Quaker Oats uh, for cereal grind. A lot of it goes to Captain Crunch and Crunch Berries in the fall. So we deliver a lot in the fall. So make sure you buy your kids Crunch Berries in the fall. <laughs> does it does it need to be food grade quality then? Or yeah, it, or, yeah. Or well, it's non-GMO. Yeah, they look for um, test weight. You know, they'll it. it has to be between uh, 15% moisture and 15.5. So it's kind of a tight moisture window. And then it's also a tight uh, grade window. It's got to be number one. And then it has to be um, over 55 pound test weight. And they reserve the right to kick you out if you're at 55 pounds. They want it 60. Um, so we're mm -hmm. kind of careful on the hybrid selections and stuff too, um, as to what, what we deliver them and how that kind of works. So now yeah. he's talking our language. Yeah, we, we deal with Frito-Lay out here. So we get hybrids on the list and it's got to meet certain criteria, the whites and the food grade yellows. Yeah, yeah. And that's <clears throat> that's been interesting because they kind of went away from a list and they kind of just said, well, just, you know, just bring us corn because we had a couple of years where test weights were pretty good. I think they're learning a lesson. You know, not every year are test weights that great. And, and there are pretty significant hybrid differences that, you know, and mm -hmm. we've been smart enough to thankfully on the pioneer side to know, you know, what, how to kind of select for that and, and manage it on our end. And that's been a, a pretty big advantageous thing for us, but, but on the farm side, you know, I'm, I'm actively engaged in the farm operation about, um, you know, about a third of my time, maybe 40% of my time in the spring, I run one of the, we have two high-speed planters. I run one of them some of the time kind of just help, <clears throat> um, and then uh, in the fall, I'm the grain dryer operator, uh, logistics manager in charge of everything. I always tell everybody here when I come back in the fall, I'm like, I am, an, I am the boss. When I come <laughs> back in the spring, I kind of just try to help out. That way, if something's screwed up, it's not my fault. And so yeah. 
but uh but in the fall yeah we we have a lot of logistical things going on and so i i kind of manage that and then uh, the rest of the time of the year i'm i'm out we, we service operations in about 18 states we work on cost production we work on collaborative farming um we do a lot of transition succession planning you know from one generation to the next there's a lot of farm operations are trying to figure out how to do that and not get killed with taxes and that kind of stuff so there's a a, a lot to that that we spend a ton of time on uh, with operations, just helping them with business development. And then uh, we also have some peer groups. We have uh, <clears throat> Shay and I facilitate six different farm peer groups where we put farm operations together from various states. Um, we try to put eight farm operations together that are all from different states. And then they each take a turn hosting their peers. And then we have a program that um, helps them to dive into that hosting operation to really figure out what's working well, what's not. And then before the peers leave, they provide the host operation with a series of recommendations um, from their peers, as opposed to, you know, a consultant showing up, you know, it's wow, that's great. Peers do a way better job of yeah. explaining to you what you need to be doing. And, and we do interviews. So we interview you we get to the nitty gritty, we get down to the, to the dirt, so to speak, um, as to what's really going on in the operation. Um, you know, the operations have to be somewhat vulnerable. You got to be willing to share and they become a pretty tight knit group after the first couple of meetings, these people, you know, don't know each other at the first meeting. And by the time that first three days is done, we do three days at a, you know, three days at a time with the host, and uh, by the time that first meeting's done, the people didn't know each other and they're hugging and best friends and have each other's numbers. And, and, uh, you know, and cause a lot of times, you know, operators and a lot of people listening to this don't have necessarily anybody they can talk to locally. You know, you're not going to yeah. tell your neighbor, your financial concerns or that kind of stuff, but you would tell another farmer that's comparable in size and scope that's from, you know, if you're from Nebraska and they're from Tennessee, you're going to share, you know, and, and you're yeah. going to be there for each other. And it's a, you're a phone call away or a text or an email away, um, from understanding, you know, or asking a question like, Hey, have you ever experienced this? How do you, how'd you handle this? You know, and it's really, yeah, that's, really cool. That's, that that's is really cool. That is typical. You know, you, you mentioned that they don't usually collaborate and they don't, I mean, you know, they're kind of on an island. They figure it out themselves. They talk with their banker. They talk with their accountant or something like that. But to have actual other producers facing similar things, that's pretty powerful. Yeah, it's it's a neat program. We've it's my favorite thing to do that that we do. We've we pretty much as we're working with an operation, that's usually the next step. Usually they contact us and they want to work on, like I said, cost production or analyzing some financials or business development or whatever. Um, family dynamics. I mean, that's always interesting too, that we get into occasionally, but, you know, but always the next step is, is okay. Are you interested in a peer group? And then uh, once we get to know the operations, we, we select them and we place them and uh, make sure that before that all starts, they know each other, that they or know the operations and the scope and the size and the things and it's a pretty, pretty cool program. Yeah. So it sounds like in the spring, like in your family, you'd be, uh, you'd be private barren in the spring <laughs> running the, just yep. running the planter but then in the fall it sounds like you're the five-star general yeah coming in right yeah i made a video the this spring and i don't think i even showed it to anybody i'm not actually on any any social media i we do our podcast and 
I gave up, I gave up, uh, national media and social media about four years ago. And I've never been so happy. I, I, you know, I hear you. Not, not listening to all that crap. So, <clears throat> but I was in the tractor the other, I don't know, this spring. And, um, I relieved Jason, our main planter operator, one of the two, my, my nephew and, and Jason is an employee that's been with us since he was in seventh grade. He's 47 now. Oh, and he's, he's in charge of our seed agency as well, but he runs one of the planters too. And, um, I, so I take the night shift in the spring and it was the first time I'd gotten in the planter. I never got in it when it was in the yard, like an idiot. And so <clears throat> I get in the planter for the first time, it's 10 o'clock at night. And I got a 250 acre field in front of me to plant that night. And so I, I finished, he did the first pass around and I was doing the second pass Andros around. And then I started rolling and I'm thinking, you know, this is a really great time to start learning this thing. It's one of those nights where there's no moon and it's just dark <laughs> as can be out, you know, and, and we, we put 32 and thiosol down two by two. Um, and so there's a lot going on and, and, uh, with the planner and just like with anybody listening, the same kind of deal. But, uh, I took a video after I kind of got going in the middle of the field and, and um, we strip till. So, you know, everything's all, kind of lined up for you just pretty much push a button at each end of the field after you get things lined up and so i'm i videoed it and i said this is awesome you know here i am middle of the night first time i'm running the planter i have no clue what the hell buttons to push and uh, but i've got it going it's working um so i get to do this at night and i also get to sign the checks to pay for the stuff so <laughs> yeah. you know so so <laughs> you know you you got to just be thankful for, for what roles you get, I guess. And yeah, night, night planning this year was a little challenging because it was so dry too, just dusty and, Dust. yeah. you know, it was dark, you know, all the lights, you can't see nothing. Yeah. 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 yeah and the, the dust always blows in front of you too. Right. I don't know why you can turn around on the end and it still blows in front of you. I haven't figured that one out yet, but yeah. When you're talking to those collaborating groups, Chris, you know, what are the, top one or two or three things that they battle with mostly i mean is it personnel on their farms or is it you know buying inputs or yeah that's a great question i would say um right now because the economy has been super good um it has been to this point anyway it has been you know typically communication is the number one uh crux or issue that we see and it can it can extend from just family dynamics to um, labor issues or leadership issues. A lot of times, I mean, I, I always tell people there are no, you know, if you read the book, uh, extreme ownership, um, I don't know if you guys have read that book. It's a book that people need to, to read if they haven't, you know, there, there are no bad teams, only bad leaders is one of the, um, statements in there. And I think it's very true. Um, as leaders, sometimes I think we have to look in the mirror and say, okay, we got some communication issues or we got some transition problems or something going on here. And it's usually, um, it's usually a leadership issue. Um, and, and sometimes those are the least fun things to deal with. It's a lot more fun just to go in the shop and work or work on a piece of equipment or whatever than it is to deal with the, the people part and the people part's always the biggest issue. That's, that's how we got into that. Um, Full disclosure, I've got a degree in communications and psychology and um, not in agronomy, even though as a CCA and all that stuff, I mean, I, I kind of learned that stuff on the side and, and my college degree was in communications and psych. And I use that all the time because that, you know, we went out, like I said, and we, we help people with financial decision-making significant amount of that. 
cost of production. Uh, we have a tool called Profit Manager where we help people dial in their cost of production literally to the penny um, on a per bushel basis on every line item expense. And one thing I learned after doing that for about 10 years was we could get all the numbers right, but the people could screw everything up. And oh, so, yeah. you know, you, you gotta, you gotta not only get the numbers right, but you gotta get the people on board and, and working together and pulling rope the same direction. And so, um, that's when I finally decided, well, I got getting the math part figured out. Now we got to figure out the people part. And, and so that's what we spend probably the majority of our work when we're working with a farm operation individually is just helping with clearly defining expectations, roles and responsibilities, those kind of things. Cause that's usually where the issue lies is, you know, they, you know, it's, and it's control too, you know, from one generation to the next. Um, sometimes it's, you know, not wanting to give up control and, and, you know, or we've always done it this way and if we change and it's going to, we got to spend money oh, here. Man. We do this guy, do that. And, and those most are dangerous, dangerous words in agriculture right mm -hmm. there is what you said. Yeah. We, Cause we always do it this way. Uh -huh. You know, you know, you're like, yep. why, why in the hell are you doing that? Well, we've always done it this way. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's just the, the thing that creates job security, I guess, for us. And, and, is, you know, and, and, you know, I love what we do. I mean, I love, it. there's nothing more uh, rewarding than if you can go help someone um, get their family dynamics straightened out, or they can get a plan put together for the next five years or 10 years of what's really going to happen and what's the clear vision. We help a lot of operations figure out, you know, what are your core values? You know, uh, a lot of times people have them, they live them but they don't identify what they are. If they can be identified and, and then you ask, you know, what's one of the biggest issues? One of the biggest issues is, is employee uh, getting employees to start with. And then the next biggest issue is retention. And, yeah. you know, without clearly defining your, you know, your core values, it becomes very difficult for employees to know why they're doing what they're doing. And people don't want to know what they're doing. They want to know why they're doing it. And so if you can get that um, laid out in front of people, you know, you, with your core values, that's how you hire, that's how you fire, that's how you reward and how you discipline. And so it's very important. I think that, you know, um, when you hire somebody, you know, you're going to have way better retention and way better employees if you can, you know, hire them based on making sure that their core values match yours. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm taking a lot of notes right now for the I fact know that for the fact that I'm taking these notes thinking about my children. When you just said people want to know the why, well, my kids mm -hmm. just constantly ask why. Can it just be as simple as because I said so? <laughs> no, 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 it can't no. be. So uh, I need no. I need to rephrase what I'm telling them then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and I I hear what you're saying, Chris. You know, when you're talking like marketing and business and everything, and you're setting out your marketing plan for grain or something like that, you, you got to pull the emotion out of it and look at it as a business sense. And it's hard to do when you're managing your employees or your family members, you got to put some people skills and emotion into that and understand where they're coming from too. So it's, it takes a, a careful dance to get it all right. Yeah. I think one of the things too, that's difficult for some people or quite a few people, I guess, is, is just transparency you know, is letting other people know 
what's working for you, what's not, or what, what you think about something, you know, and it, it just kind of starts with trust. You know, if you worried that, you know, that happens to employees all the time, you know, they're worried if, if they, they break something, for example, and they don't say anything, well, that's because they're worried they're going to get their butt chewed if they, you know, so then something's mm -hmm. broken. It's like, nobody knows who did it. It's like, what happened here? I don't know. Nobody knows. There's 10 different people here and it broke itself. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> you need to, you need to be able to provide it as a leader, provide an environment that's safe, that people feel like they can like tell you what they're really thinking and they're not going to get their butt chewed or they're not going to be judged or whatever. It's not personal. It's just, you know, those are as kind of some examples of things that we try to help coach people with a lot just to make the communication and the business thrive much better because it's the people that make make it successful well that, that's one of the best parts of that book extreme ownership is when these when they're talking about leading up the chain of command right mm -hmm. and it's about you know the team being able to lead back up and let the you know main leaders lead better for knowing what's going on right know? know the temperature at the ground level right like what is right. exactly happening Right. Yeah. Decentralized command is, is another way of putting it. Oh, yeah. And I, I do that all the time here. Like I said, in the spring, I show up and <clears throat> I mean, I could be the captain of the ship if I wanted to be, but it's a lot easier to be transmission fluid and just mm -hmm. kind of help the gears turn. And so I show up and, and, you know, we've got planter control, you know, my, my nephew's in charge of the planters and Jason's in charge of the seed and TJ, my nephew's in charge of the herbicide programs and everybody's got their areas of expertise and I don't try to micromanage. I did when I was first doing this. And that's one of the biggest things we see people goof up on is, you know, when you're in the process of coaching or teaching somebody or getting somebody to do something that is, you know, where you delegate over to other people, the hardest thing to do is to not come in and micromanage it, you know, is to allow, you know, being, and it's kind of an art, but figuring out what, do, where do I help them and where do I stay back and let them goof up a little or let them learn, you know, on their own, in their own way. And that's, I think that's really key. Yeah, I bet. So when you, you're talking about the people relationships and everything on the business side of things, though, what do you, what do you do a lot on the business side, the numbers part of it? For, yeah. So so on the numbers side of things, and we can get into as much nitty gritty there as you want. <laughs> we we um have a program called Profit Manager. Um, it is a um it is a program that has as many crops on there as you want. Um, we have guys that have cotton, and I mean we got a guy in Canada that has twelve different crops in there. Um, it's a it's just basically a cost production. We have um, clearly identified line item expenses of which. Um, the one I'm most proud of that we have in there is the machinery and equipment, uh, analysis tool that literally will take you down to a cost per bushel per pass. However, you want to look at it for each individual piece of equipment. So your planter pass, like, you know, like our average planter pass this year right now is $32 and 82 cents an acre. You know, that's an average. And so <laughs> down to you, 82 cents. You got it pretty but, yeah, literally. No I mean, we can we can get it down to the penny on a, on a cost per acre, but then, you know, we take the equipment and look at it in terms of cost per bushel too because, you know, if you're going to upgrade or or it's time to trade or or to do things with your machinery and equipment, we analyze that very very detailed. 
so that we can um, make better decisions on replacement, on on fleet management. Um, I studied pretty heavily the airline industry to kind of figure out how they manage their fleets and applied some of the technology that they had to um, fleet management on the agricultural side. And so we we dial the numbers in um, using some of, some of the same strategies that the airline industry uses on, you know, on your power units, for example, and how many hours, you know, should you be running those power units and how to track multiple power units. We've got some guys with two or three tractors and we've got some guys with like 30. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't matter if you have two or if you have 30, you still need to manage that fleet in terms of, you know, understanding that there's, there's two costs that, that people always forget and it's inflation and depreciation. And from 2013, for example, from 2013 to um, 2019, let's say there was, there was a, a really reduced um, fleet replacement rate for um, farm operations. And I've got tons of data on that and it could go down a rabbit hole there, but um, that data showed us that, you know, that reduced rate was going to require a massive amount of um, updating coming up. And part of what happened, I think, was some operations think their cost productions, whatever they're spending, and with machinery and equipment, it's the second largest line item expense next to land. And in some states like North Dakota, for example, and New York and a few others, equipment's the number one line item expense. Land tends to be the number one in most states that we work with. But when we look at machinery and equipment, it's interesting because the uh, um, the the fleet management um you know, cost really is different from one operation to the next. You know, some operations run pretty new stuff, some run older stuff and fix it up. There's really no right or wrong way of doing it. It's just that what we see is a lot of times people use university data to figure out what their costs are. And that's never accurate because it, all that is, is a survey of some random, you know, tracking that they do and your individual costs on your farm are going to be specific to your operation. And so, you know, we look at that, that um, like I said, that depreciation and inflation based on an annual appraisal. So we, we have our clients do an annual fleet appraisal every single year. So we know exactly what the, in, the depreciation is on the fleet. And then we look at true, um, true inflation. And so, like I said, in the last uh, three years, we've had a 31% inflation in machinery and equipment. And wow. so, you know, what we do is when we look at a rate, for example, you know, if you buy a sprayer, let's say, and you spend 300,000 for it, you run it five years, the new sprayer is going to be 450,000. So there's 150 difference just in inflation. And then your depreciation, by the way, let's say it was 150,000, your salvage value is 150,000. So people get sticker shock when they're like, well, holy crap, it's going to cost me 300,000 to trade. I just paid paid 300 for that one when it was new. (laughs) Well, it's a combination of inflation and depreciation. Just because you don't write a check for it each year doesn't mean it shouldn't be accounted as an expense. And then that, that rolls into our cost of production as an example. And we do similar stuff to every line item. So we know what our true cost of production is. Um, Yeah, that's nuts. So you said usually land, then equipment. You got me really intrigued. What what's like three, four, and five, just from a uh, standard? If for, you got any fertility, idea, your fertility for operations that are um, next in line there, that would be the next one. 
um, seed usually just because you know that's I'll, I'll right where it. I was going. I was hoping it was yeah. like <laughs> six or seven because yeah. all, that's all I ever get is well, we got to do this, pay for that expensive seed all the time. You yeah, know, let me let me just look it up real quick here. But <laughs> yeah, um, seed is is uh, I'll look it up while you're asking me another question here. Well, and that. how do you work in that, Chris? You're talking about like a like a sprayer or a planter, for example, and uh the $300,000 sprayer had certain capabilities when it came out, but when you replace it with that 450,000, it has better capabilities and can spray more acres. And, and I suppose that gets factored a little bit into that too, or a planter does more things better. You know, you got yeah. a high speed planter versus a regular planter or something. I guess that's where I was wondering where labor cost goes into that too. Cause back to your point, like if you can offset that some labor cost with the newer yeah. equipment, you know, takes away some of that $300,000 difference. Sticker. Right. So with the machinery, um, we put in a labor cost based on what, and, and that's from determining their operation. We, we basically spend a day. Uh, we, we actually send a bunch of information out and then we spend a day actually on the farm going through the financials. But when we look at labor, we look at what is the cost on a per hour basis. And then we calculate the, the, uh, um, the operation. So you plug in the width of the machine, the speed of the machine, the fuel consumption, there's a bunch of variables you pop. Oh, in, wow. Yeah. And then it kicks out an actual cost on a per acre basis and a per bushel basis, depending on what your, your APH is, your actual yield. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how it, how it does that's... it. We have it set up. So all you do is you just put in your variables and then it'll kick out your cost. Um, but as far as seed, let's look here as a percent, it's going to run right around uh, it's going to run right around about 10 percent of the total cost production or less um, the way we always look at seed is like on corn for example it usually comes in right around 58 cents per bushel you know assuming that you're in a 200 plus level you know and, and that cost per bushel is relative to um, your yield zone too you know, right. so if you're in a yield zone area where you're going to get, you know, and that's where sometimes people get excited about, you know, the, the cost difference on the same seed from one region to another. Well, it makes total sense when you look at it and profit manager, because you're, you're paying for what you're going to get back out of the product. And so it's pretty simple to look at it as to, you know, what is the value exchange? And that's the one thing that profit manager shows everybody real quick is, you know, what's the cost per bushel? How many bushel do you need to grow to cover that expense? And then what is it as a percent relative to everything else? And so like seed, a lot of times is right around that, you know, 55 to, to 60 cents a bushel-ish, depending on your yield. But what we do is we look at that from one year to the next. Let's say you have a product in price increase or whatever. Well, a lot of times you're only talking a penny or two a bushel anyway. Or yeah. the, another item that I like to look at is... Um, is insurance. You know, a lot of times people, when they're buying insurance, they're looking at what they're writing the checkout for and the same with seed or any other line item. Well, what's the cost per bushel? You know, so if a guy's spending, you know, if you get 200 bushel corn, uh, or I may use 190 cause that's what's in here right now. But you, if you have 190 bushel corn, that's 18 cents a bushel for $35 an acre. So I think we all, whether it's you guys, you know, in the seed industry or it's us as farmers or whatever, 
I think we all need to do a little better job of making sure we understand the value of the products that we're either purchasing to either enhance yield or protect yield. Um, because those are the areas you don't want to skimp on because those are the areas because the, the more you can produce, the lower your cost of production. Perfect. I'm glad you, not to you're talking you. our language. Yeah, there. <laughs> I wanted, to, I was wanting, wanting you to get to that point yeah. because we've just hear this all the time. You, we need to out yield a bad market too. Cause I want to get into a market with you a little bit yep, on yep. what that's looking like and how true is that when you look at all the cost productions and stuff like every, I mean, we have to have the bushels, but at what levels, right. And is right. it worth always trying to push in and, a bad market year? Well, and that's why I'm such a huge believer in it. And you don't have to use profit manager. There's other tools out here. There's harvest profit to name one. There's several others. Okay. What I like to do is I like to make sure that if I'm working with a producer or if a producer is doing this on their own, and there's some university tools out there too, you really need to know what your cost production is to a per bushel and then use the APH yield and then go plus or minus from there. So let's say, you know, for example, you know, you're sitting there with an APH yield of 200. Um, I'm looking at a cost production on an av on an actual producer is, is 462. And so at 462, at 200 bushel corn, if that producer can can do 220, it takes cost of production from 462 down to 423. So that's within 10 seconds of you know me talking to that producer, knowing that we have all of their line item expenses in accurately. What does that extra 20 bushel do in terms of cost per bushel? You know, and that's what I think a person really needs to look at is to, you know, is to make sure you have those tools at your fingertips and you have those numbers ready to roll. Because just like on this marketing thing, you know, we've, we've come off this, this crazy, ugly market slide for the last several weeks or month or whatever, or two months, I guess, if you, if you look at the length of the slide in price. And I think, you know, people had $6 in their mind and now, and now we're sub five. Um, what number can we get back to that you would be willing to pull the trigger, put some offers in and, you know, and, and guessing is not going to work. Um, you know, we're back to reality again. It's a, it's a recalibration of what do we need to do to manage our opportunity on the marketing side of things here. Um, but it starts with knowing your own numbers, your own individual numbers. And I think it's way too easy to calculate a cost of production at the beginning of the year and then not screw around with the numbers again until, you know, later in the year or harvest time or whatever. Well, that's not, that doesn't work. You yeah, need the to margins cost are getting, production. margins are getting close enough now that you got to start paying really well, close attention to it. Yeah, I'll I'll throw you some numbers. Here's 2023 our average cost of production when I got done with our winter meetings and these costs obviously will ebb and flow some, but when I got done, I aggregated the average average cost of production on soybeans at APH levels was $13 and 21 cents for soybeans and $5 and 28 cents for corn. And that's the average. And so, yeah, I've got guys that are, you know, in the 11s on, on soybean cost of production, but I've also got guys that are pushing close to 14 on soybeans that probably didn't even grow soybeans, um, you know, just because of the, um, economics that, you know, there was just more revenue for most of the operations we work with for corn this year than there was soybeans by a significant amount. Yeah. And then on, on the corn side, you know, I think the range, if I remember right, somewhere in that 
you know, mid four, that 450 ish range up to about 565 or so, if I remember right. So that kind of shows you the the cost production range. And then, and then, you know, you also got to be thinking about 2024. We have, we have some guys that have already done their 2024 numbers in anticipation of doing some marketing. And some of those guys were already marketing 24 about a year ago, knowing that, you know, the average cost of production there was 481 and 1245 on soybeans. And so, you know, that's where, you know, a tool like profit manager, it's not an advertisement. Like I said, you can do this. There's all kinds of tools out there. I don't care what you use, just use something and know your numbers because that's what makes us better marketers is, is asking ourselves, what is our margin target? Not what's our price target. Cause I have no clue where the market's going to go. And if anybody tells you they do, they're lying because they have no clue. But if you know what your costs are and then you can say, okay, my, my margin target is 22 cents on corn and 55 cents on soybeans. And if I can achieve that margin, I'm going to make sales, you know, yeah. or, you know, what are, where, did, where are those at? And mm -hmm. that's, and that's the discipline that we try to help coach and implement. Oh man. Yeah. There's so much into this. Like, there's so many little pieces of this that we could go down in the rabbit holes, but we're going to run out of time here on this, on this episode. We're definitely going to have to do a part two with you to kind yeah. of catch up, to kind of catch up the rest of this and everything that you guys can do. But just recap on this part here before we got to go. Um, if the guy, so most guys have finished up planting they're getting ready to start spraying. Is there anything that you would tell them today uh, as far as really, making sure that they have these costs in order and what to watch the rest of the season. Cause a lot of the inputs are probably already down for mm -hmm. the year, like a high mm -hmm. percentage of them. Mm -hmm. But what can we look at for the rest of the season? Do you think, and what, what's one underutilized uh, line item that they should really be watching? Well, I think it's understanding what the insurance is going to do for you. Um, the lower the price goes, um, you know, the higher your, your yield guarantee is. And so once corn goes below, uh, say $5, if you purchased 85% crop insurance, you're already reaching that indemnity payment with just regular RP crop insurance. And so if corn is going to be at or around $5, that's about the worst place it can be. We want, we, we either want to see corn go back to the 550 or better range, or we want to see it go down to 450 or lower. Because as it goes lower, your 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 indemnity payment coverages really kick in pretty significantly. Um, you know, if a person's got eighty percent insurance, it's it's a not five dollars. It's probably closer to about four seventy before the insurance starts to kick in. And so I that's shall. where that's that's where the insurance really has a lot of value. So I'd I'd be paying attention to that, um, understanding um, you know in the next few weeks I'd be putting some offers in. I'd, I'd be dialing these numbers in because when you're busy spraying and you're, you're busy side dressing and doing all that stuff and, and it's crop scouting and things, it's, it's always, I always tell people it's when your hands are the most greasy that you need to make a sale. You're underneath a piece of equipment working on something and you're thinking in your head, I should be making a sale. The next day the market tanks or goes down a bunch. You're like, I knew I should have made a sale. Mm. Well, just put the offers in because I think what's going to happen is we're going to have about 10 seconds to achieve whatever the, your goals are. So if it's, if it's 520, you know, let's say it's five, 
52 or something, you just pick a number. I don't know. You know, everybody's got to kind of pick their own numbers, but you pick your numbers and put those targets in, put those offers in, and then just let them come to you and go do your work. You know, just forget yeah. about it. You know, that's, that's what I would do at this point, because you're right. Most of these costs are calculated. They're, they're, the numbers are in, but, but that doesn't mean that you don't sit down real quick and, and redefine those numbers and figure out exactly where they're at. Um, just to make sure, you know, where, where you're at. Yeah, that's, that sounds, that sounds good. Yeah. And if people want to want to, want to see what profit manager does, we have a, we, they can go on our, um, webpage on agviewsolutions.com and, and I can send that, send you a couple of links to you guys and then you can put it in the show notes and sure people want to look at it. We've got some videos and stuff on there too. That's yeah, just that, what I was going to ask you how to get a hold of it. Cause you're not on Twitter, right? Uh, Shay is on Twitter. Shay is on uh, Twitter. Okay. Yeah. At agronomy guy on, on Twitter. Yeah. Well, that, that's great. Uh, and then let's work on to maybe part two coming up here in a couple of weeks or so. Cause I do want to talk to you about the, the conferences that you've hosted. Uh, I want to get more into the peer groups that you're doing. And I want to talk to you about the next generation coming into farms and some of that transition. Um, mm -hmm. Just because those are things that are going to be here before we know it, you know, especially the generational change thing seems to really be happening and farms are getting larger with more family members. And yep. I, I think that's something that a lot of people want to hear about and want to listen to your expertise about that. Yeah. And we don't want them to blow up either. We want, you know, when most of these operations get to the cousin stage, that's usually when the trouble starts. Um, because, you know, well, the, the brothers got along fine, but now there's cousins involved and expectations are different and communications lacking. And, and that's where those things can be fixed on the front end and really set operations up for success. Yeah, that's awesome. That's, well, yeah. hey, let's uh, let's wrap this one up again. This is Kicking Dirt, Mike and Adam, uh, Chris Barron with Eggview Solutions. Thanks so much. And then I promise we'll do episode two in a couple of weeks. Sound good? good. That was right. great, Chris. Thank you very much. You bet. Thank Thanks. you.